The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today, it is my honor to welcome Mr. Benny McLean. He is the organic production manager at Uncle Matt's Organic. You may know Uncle Matt's fabulous organic orange juice from your local markets, But Mr. McLean has been working in the Florida citrus industry since the 1950s when he was put on his dad's hand crew at the young age of 10. After high school, Mr. McLean earned a degree in agricultural economics with a minor in fruit crops from the University of Florida. He has had a long career in the Florida citrus industry working as a agricultural statistician for the Florida Department of Agriculture and as production manager for Libby McNeil and Libby, as well as an entrepreneur in a grove care and consulting with business partner Dave Gurney. Well, Mr. McLean, welcome. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you, Melinda. I'm looking forward to a a nice discussion with you and your audience. Well, I remember meeting you at the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics meeting in Houston several months ago, and we had a long discussion about the history of the Florida citrus industry, and it's really why I wanted to have you on, because you experienced growing citrus as a young man. There you were at the age of 10 working with your dad, and you saw how the influx of chemicals crept into the citrus industry. And then you also... Uh, Being an organic citrus farmer, you've witnessed a different way to produce fruit that is certainly better for public health. So tell me a little bit about your history. Your dad had some groves, and then you got involved. And how did you become, as a young child, really, working with your dad to where you are now? Well, that's a good question, and we could take about two hours to give you that history, but I'll cut it real short, but... No, my dad being, he graduated from the University of Florida with a degree in soils chemistry, which they don't offer that now, but basically from there, he was raised in the citrus industry also, and then he worked with some different companies throughout Central Florida, and then I started when I was 10 years old. He would put me out on a what we call the hand crew in the summertime, and we would pull vines and chop weeds and basically clean up in the middles during the summertime after all the harvesting had been done. So that was all part of growing up and being a, a young man in the McLean family. Uh, I'm the oldest of five boys, and i got three sisters stuck in there too. So all the boys followed the same patterns as I did, and we all grew up working in the groves. And basically it was a tradition that was looked upon as, you know, it was honorable. That was, I mean, you were the... You were the big boy in the family. You get to go to work with your dad and work in the groves and learn how to drive tractors and run spreaders and fertilizer spreaders and stuff like that. So I just stepped right into it. And uh, then I, when I graduated from high school, I went to the University of Florida and graduated with a degree in ag economics, a minor in citrus, and took a job right out of the 
out of the university working with the crop reporting service in the state of Florida. And what we did is we worked on the the citrus crop estimate. I actually, we traveled the whole state once a month and went all throughout the whole entire industry surveying the groves, counting the trees, learned how to make estimates on what the crop was going to be, how we did, uh, we would estimate on what the size of the fruit would be when you harvest and how much fruit would fall off between the time you counted it and, and to harvest. And so I had the title of an agricultural statistician. I don't know that I, I, I'm not sure I could spell it back then, but, but it was a great experience for me. I got to see the whole entire citrus industry. That, that was what was so fascinating is, at that time, there was about seven or 800,000 acres, and right now and today, there's just a little over 500,000 acres. We've lost a lot of it to the freezes and urbanization, but I was able to move right on up in the industry and got experience, as I mentioned, knowing where all the groves were, and of course, my dad being in the business. And Anyway, I ended up as production manager for Libby McNeil and Libby, which they had about 8,000 acres of citrus right here in Clermont, where I live now. So it was a great opportunity for me to move right in. And unfortunately, when I took the job, it was December 1st, 1983, and I hadn't even been there a month, and we had the 1983 freeze came in on Christmas Eve. And just to make a long story short, basically it wiped out Libby's 8,000 acres. Mm. So there were groves in there. There were trees in there that were over 60 years old when it froze, and there were some. Libby owned a couple of blocks in there that were over uh, 100 years old. But it was a severe freeze, wiped out everything, and from there I started doing independent consulting work and went down into Central America, was able to travel the whole whole gamut of consulting because a lot of companies moved out of the state after the severe freezes and looked for cheap land and cheap labor, etc. But I grew up in the conventional method, and my dad was, like he always told us boys, he was organic. Well, he grew up in the citrus industry, but and nobody ever told him he was organic. They, they didn't have the pesticides and herbicides and miticides and fungicides like we have today. So I grew up in the conventional market, and in the early 60s, well, I say early, in the late 60s was when the herbicides were were being introduced, and my dad was, it's funny, my dad was totally against all all of that. I mean, he, he didn't take a stand and say he refused to do it, but he was against the idea of it because he, he understood soil physics, chemistry, and biology. He understood microbes. He understood what goes on, what what do the microbes feed on, and what do they do for a citrus tree, you know. So all of that was a positive, and he it, he saw all the negative way before I did. That is so he, interesting. I am amazed at a comment that you said early on, and that is that the soils chemistry class is no longer being taught? Well, it that was a degree. I that you see. could get in soils chemistry that where you actually had to have like 25 hours of chemistry. I mean, if you're going to be a medical doctor at U of F now, you don't get any more than that. Yeah. <laughs> where they don't offer that, you can go in and get a degree in soils, uh-huh. okay, or you could get a degree in chemistry. I see. It would seem the, that that knowledge would be 
critical, just as your dad, as you explained that your dad understood the relationships of the microbes in the soil and how important they were in, in having a healthy tree and producing a good crop, you would think that we would need more of that knowledge, though, and not less. Well, it's very interesting, Melinda, when you see the evolution of chemical fertilizers and chemicals and where we started and how we got hooked on this and how the majority of the growers now, and, and I'm not just talking about citrus, just pick any crop that's grown in the U.S., how they truly don't understand how to farm without chemicals. Mm. And I was just as guilty as, as the rest of them until we got involved in the organics, which has now been, let's see, 14 years, I believe. We've been certified organic for 14 years. And with all the knowledge and experience that I had in the citrus industry, when we made the decision to start growing organically, I had to relearn everything because there was no peer-reviewed and published research on how to grow citrus in the state of Florida in a certified organic program. None. And and even today, there's none. So everything we did was trial and error. So I, I truly had to get out of the truck, walk in the grove, dig holes, look, you know, soil samples, leaf samples, water samples. And like my dad used to always say, boys, the answer is out here in the grove. Turn off your phone, turn off your TV, get out in the grove and look. That's where the answers are. The tree will tell you. So, mm. you know, and I'm sure all the organic growers that listen, they, they can identify with what I'm saying because that's the way you become a successful organic grower, regardless of the crop, because you truly, we feed the soil, the soil feeds the plant. It's not the other way around. And when you get caught up in the conventional game, you see a symptom, you apply something to to control a zinc deficiency or manganese or a nitrogen deficiency. Nobody even thinks about where what is the level in the soil? What's going on in the soil? So that kind of brings you up to date of you know, where we are right now. So when you went to school at the University of Florida, were you taught the chemical way of farming? Uh, yes, and let me back up. My dad learned what we call the Albrecht method, okay? There was a Dr. Albrecht that taught at the University of Missouri, and prior to World War II, all the land-grant universities in the U.S. were taught the Albrecht method, Okay. Well, when my dad graduated in 1939 and then after World War II, you know, a new president, new cabinet, and all new team and everything, they come in and they basically do away with the Albrecht method and they go to what we call the pH method. So I learned the pH method. All the brothers learned the pH method of soil balancing and my dad learned the Albrecht method. Now, me being the oldest of the five boys, I spent the majority of the best years of my dad's life arguing, fussing, fighting all about, you know, how to fertilize a grove. And he, he would always fuss at me and say, you don't understand the soil, chemistry, physics, and biology. You didn't learn that. All you learned that was to chase the pH. You know, and he was right. Yeah. And uh, not until the middle 90s, we were doing a project over in the Bahamas 
where we were, I was in charge of a 5,000 acre citrus grove over there that we started from scratch and we had our own nursery. And of course that soil over there is nothing like Florida. Anyway, I, you know, we were having all kind of problems. We couldn't get the nursery trees to grow. We couldn't get the trees to grow that we planted. And anyway, we met, uh, one of the brothers, Scott was working with me over there and he met a fellow by the name of Neil Kinsey at airport in Miami. And they just started chatting. They were waiting on the same plane. And Neil Kinsey was a graduate of the University of Missouri and studied under Dr. Albrecht. And he taught the Albrecht method at, at classes in Missouri. So when he mentioned that to Scott, Scott brought that news back to all the brothers and my two sons and my dad and me. And, and my dad was saying, oh, my God, we got to go. So we the whole family went to the to one of the seminars up there in Sykeston, Missouri, that Neil Kinsey taught. And he has he teaches these classes year-round. And my dad was, it was like he was a new man. Oh, I'm sure. All the brothers and my two sons, we attended these classes. It was like a three-day class up there in Sykeston, Missouri. And they taught us the Albrecht method. Or, or they gave us the formulas, and and now it became very inquisitive to all of us that, my God, there's a whole other world under this soil. You know, there's a whole other there's a whole other science that I've never even really paid any attention to. Wow! Wow! Well, my dad was so excited. I'm sure Thank he was. God, after all these years, you guys have finally beginning to understand and start asking questions. And, you know, Melinda, the funny thing was the biggest thing that turned me on was when we took the class and they say, okay, now, when you start sending in soil samples to the lab up here, there'll be a questionnaire and you'll have to fill it out and here's a sample and they show a sample up there on the board. And he says, okay, the first question is, what was the date of the last application of any lime and or dolomite to your acres. And I raised my hand. I said, you know, what difference does that make? And of course, that was a dead giveaway that I didn't know anything about it. And they said, oh, well, son, when you once you really study this and understand it, you'll see that it takes three years for all of the calcium to release in a ton of dolomite or high-cal lime. So we need to know the exact date that you put it on so whenever you send your soil analysis in, we'll know that if you're short on calcium, well, you put in, a, you put a ton on back in a year ago, so you've got two more years before it'll all release. And I mean, I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. You know, I've been out of school 30 years. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I never heard that. I, I, I was blown away by it, so. Anyway. Well, I'm glad your father had a chance to see you go full circle and respect the ways that he had been producing citrus. I think that's just tremendous. I need to take one break and remind our listeners that we are listening to Food Sleuth Radio and speaking with Mr. Benny McLean. He is the production manager at Uncle Matt's Organic, where he is responsible for implementing Uncle Matt's organic farm plan, which includes all aspects of grove care and growing citrus. And if you're like me and love organic citrus fruit, you will have a great respect for Mr. McLean, as I do. 
One of the reasons why I have such great respect for you is because you do produce food organically. And as a dietitian, I look at the literature that looks at children's health. And so we see recommendations, say, from the American Cancer Association. We see recommendations from the American Academy of Pediatrics. We see studies linking pesticide use with all kinds of, oh, behavior problems in children, neurotoxicities. And I think, my goodness, what are we doing putting all of these toxins on the soil, which eventually get in our water and in our food, spraying our fruit, and I also think about all of the people that you employ in your groves and how lucky they are that they're not being exposed to these sprays. So I want to just let you know how grateful I am that you do produce fruit the way you do. I want to ask, have you come across any opposition? In my own profession, when I say that I support organic growing methods, sometimes I get opposition from people who say, oh, you know, it doesn't make any difference or you're not going to be able to feed the world if you don't use these pesticides. I've, I've actually heard that from some fruit growers who use chemicals. And I wonder if you as a grower face that same kind of opinion from others. Well, that's a good question, Melinda, but not really. Uh, you know, we're so well-rounded in the citrus business, and we've got a lot of friends that are conventional, and it and it's not a deal that, it's organic against conventional. Mm-hmm. You know, we we don't ever try to put Uncle Matt's in that position. We we got big problems in the citrus industry with the greening disease right now, whether you're conventional or organic. So we're all working together to try to to solve this. But you know, every once in a while, you'll somebody will say something to you a little off color or something like that, and and. I've been shot at many a time, so it doesn't really bother me anymore, and, and I just kind of let it go. As I, I feel like I'm being successful when I have somebody throw something at me like that, so I just mm-hmm. take it as a compliment. Well, I think your approach to look at this as we're all in this together makes a lot of sense because I think that that's the way that just as you saw a different way of farming and the benefits of it, I think that once your neighbors see how successful you can be with this approach without the harmful side effects, they will hopefully move over to that way of production. Let's do talk about some of the challenges that the citrus industry is facing because I know that there have been problems with greening in the national press. There's been a push for genetically modified citrus, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit about some of those challenges. Well, it's a big challenge. Of course, Uncle Matt, you know, obviously we're we're against the GMOs. We don't feel like that's the answer. That doesn't mean that we're right, but that's our own belief that that's not going to solve the problem. It's just going to create more problems. And my biggest concern is if it got approved today, it would be five years before we would ever even have a tree. And then it would be another five years before that tree would produce. So you're looking at 10 years down the road, and nobody knows what kind of quality the juice will be. So you talk about Chasing an unknown, this is what bothers me about it. So we have locations throughout the state that we have organic groves, and there are some conventional groves to it that for some reason up 
appear to be resistant to greening. Now, is it a old line budwood or is it an old line rootstock that's been here for many, many years and has a natural resistance to it? This is what some of the geneticists and uh, experts down at University of Florida are studying now. And basically, Melinda, we just kind of sum it up this way. Is it something I'm doing or is it something I'm not doing to the tree that the tree cannot recognize the bacteria as a pathogen and turn on its own immune system and kill it in its in inside the tree. So that's the big question right now. You know, is it something I did or something I didn't do? Mm-hmm. Do you want to let us know what greening is? Yeah, greening is basically there's a just picture the disease as malaria. Malaria is spread by a mosquito. The mosquitoes sourcing protein in in our blood, so she bites us and she transmits the bacteria and you get malaria. It's basically the same thing, only it's a little tiny psyllid, very, very tiny. You need a magnifying glass to see her, and she is sourcing protein from a citrus leaf in the form of a free amino acid. So she is coming to the leaf and she's sucking the sap out of it, and when she does, she transmits the bacteria into the tree and the bacteria lays dormant in the tree for about six months. And then after about six months, it cranks up and gets on the move and takes over the tree. And you start seeing green or very light green leaves in, in, on one special branch. And that's how, that's where it got its name greening. And the fruit will actually be a light green instead of a dark green. So that's how it got the name greening. So are the psyllids insects? Yeah. They're bugs. The carrier, she's the vector. I the see. The psyllid is the vector, just like the mosquito is the vector for the for malaria. I see. And she's just a carrier. She's not out there. She's not mad at me. She just happens to be infected with the, I the bacteria, see. and that's how it spread. And the organic answer to this problem, if I am reading correctly from information I found online, is a parasitic wasp. Yeah, we, there's a little parasitic wasp that they hatch out, and she's not much bigger than the, than the psyllid herself. And what she does is when, when the psyllid sucks the sap out of the leaf, she then lays a bunch of eggs, and these eggs hatch. And the first stage of that hatching is called a nymph. It looks, looks just like a little tiny fish scale, very flat. Anyway, the, the parasitic wasp, the tamarixia, that's the name of the parasitic wasp, she seeks out, she finds the nymphs, and she lays an egg in the bottom of the nymph. And her egg hatches first, and of course it eats the inside of the nymph, so the nymph never develops into a psyllid. And are you able to import these wasps? Are they being raised on farms there in Florida? Well, the Department of Agriculture, actually, they have hatcheries. I see. And they hatch them out, and they send them to us because all of our grows are organic, obviously, so we're not spraying any of the pesticides to keep the psyllid population down so our parasitic wasp population continue to increase. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, I, I was online, and I was... Actually, you have a virtual grove tour, which I took, 
And it was interesting because you also mentioned how spider webs help in protecting your trees. Oh, yeah. In our organic groves, you will see, you go out there early in the morning when the trees covered with dew and they'll look and you catch the sun rising up and you can see hundreds of spider webs in each tree. And the psyllids fly around at night and they actually get caught in the spider webs. Hmm. Well, that's yet another reason why I think the organic production must be preferable, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if you sprayed pesticides, I'm assuming that those pesticides might hurt the spiders and of, and even the parasitic wasps that are working for you. Oh, yeah, no, they wipe them out. Mm-hmm. Well, I really find that your method of growing citrus to be fascinating because of the protection of the biodiversity that ultimately protects you. Yes, yeah, a big challenge. You know, mm-hmm. we're uh, we're looking for answers every day and new new ways to go. So we're mm-hmm. still chasing rainbows. Well, we just have a few minutes left, and I want to give you a chance to bring up anything that I may not have asked you about organic production. And what do you want our listeners to know? Well, I think it's definitely you know I'm hooked on it. I think it's the way to go, the way to farm, and I think it comes down, Melinda, to nutrient density, and I think if you address the soil chemistry, physics, and biology in whatever crop you're growing, you will increase the nutrient density of it, and that's why we eat food. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know, in conventional groves, since you did farm in that manner, how many pesticides and herbicides are used in conventional citrus groves? Well, that's uh, that's hard to say. Now, the majority of all the conventional groves use herbicides. Not all of them use sprays to kill the psyllids. Uh, some do a lot, and some don't use many at all. Are there any particular kinds of pesticides that you think we should know about? in particular in terms of researching them, or would we assume that they might be present in the fruit that we purchase? I think they've all got a negative impact on on the fruit. To what degree, I can't tell you because one thing about citrus, nobody eats the peel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of candied orange peel, and I always make sure that I get organic fruit if I'm going to make that over the holidays. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, uh, Mr. McLean, I want to thank you very much for being my guest, and I want to make sure that our listeners know that you've got a terrific website. It's simply http colon double backslash com, and you can find lots of information about the story of Uncle Matt's organic juice, the history of the groves, and some basic questions that people have about why, for example, you chose to go organic, and you've also addressed some of these concerns with greening and some of these answers, the natural answers to use the parasitic wasps. Is there any final message that you'd like to give our listeners? Just pursue organics and everything you eat. I think that's the answer. 
Well, thank you again so much for being my guest, Mr. McLean. We've been speaking with Benny McLean. He is the organic production manager at Uncle Matt's Organic. Long history in working with the citrus industry in the state of Florida. And in closing, I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Thank you so much for being my guest, Mr. McLean. Thank you, Melinda. I appreciate it very much.